0: Life Community is located in Gilbert, Arizona. You can learn more about us on our website at lifecommunityaz.com. Enjoy the message. Okay, everybody. Greg, did you get that? Um, Am I on? Yeah, did you get that? Pastor Greg is going to briefly speak to us. Did you catch that briefly? (laughs) So the next time Jamie introduces me, if she says, now the pastors are going to come and briefly speak to you, uh, you'll know that that's not true. Would you turn the house lights up, please? I want to look at these people in the eyeballs. And uh, there you go, there you go. Now I can see you. Uh, I'm in a series. I'm not going to talk. I am going to talk a lot, but I want to get right with it. i am in a series on the uh, con- kingdoms in conflict. And the truth of it is, I'm talking about the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is basically... Anywhere where God is the King, where God reigns, where God rules, is basically where the kingdom of God is. Jesus, it was His message. It was John the Baptist's message. Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God is at hand. Put your hand out there. How close it is. He said the kingdom of God is come. It's here. You don't have to go looking for it or get to the right church or the wrong church. And the, you know what? He says the kingdom of God is inside of you. It's within you. And so the, I hope that the kingdom of God changes flavors for you, and you can understand uh, all that it means. And I've used my trusty umbrella for several weeks now. I'm going to use it again. I likened it, and you've been here before. If you haven't, you think, what in the world is that guy doing with an umbrella up in church? Doesn't he know that's bad luck? Is that bad luck? No. Oh, good. It's good luck. Oh, anyway. anyway, and so the, the kingdom of God is like an umbrella. If, it, when it, if I were outside and it were raining, I could be under this umbrella and I could stay dry, relatively dry anyway. And so when the rain comes down, if I were under the umbrella, that I, I would stay dry. Now, if I got tired of being under this umbrella, now for you and, and, and you're thinking, is this umbrella protective or restrictive? Now, if I want to be protected, I got to stay under it. But the truth of it is, I want to go over there and the umbrella's not over there I go out and I get wet. And uh, enjoy yourself, Delmer, sopping wet. And the truth is, if I will stay under a place where God is king, where the Lord is, is in charge, I'm not the king of my life, but he is the king, I live under the benefits and protection of the kingdom of God and it's a wonderful place to live, and what I've learned, I've been around long enough to understand that some people, parts of our lives are really under the umbrella, and some are not. Who's known people like that? I know it's not you. I've, who's known people that, you know, they're, they're money, and I tell you, they're good spenders, they're good savers, they're good earners, they're good givers, they know how to be generous, know how to save, all those kind of things, and it seems like the money aspect part of their life it's just wonderful. And then you talk to them about other things, and you think, my God, you're a mess. <laughs> parts of their life are under, and parts of their life are not. And the parts that are not just cause all kinds of havoc. And it's not that they're bad people. They're just getting wet. They're not under the dominion of the Lord in that aspect of their life. And so I've been around long enough to know that not all of us, except me, of course, I being the pastor, uh, <laughs> Every single part of your life. And so I I want to talk to us about that. And today I want to talk about uh, delegated authority. Now, I know when I talk about authority, uh, it's a touchy subject. And so I'm going to be very touchy-feely. And what I thought we ought to do is sing a song or two, and then everybody sit in the seat you wish you had sat in. Musical chairs or something like that. Anyway, um, so what happens if Lucifer's in heaven and he's the worship director and he, uh, at some point in time, he says, you know, all this worship's going to the big guy, to God. I think it ought to come to me. So he rises up against God. God casts him out of heaven to the earth. So God sends Adam to the earth to rule, to establish God's reign on the earth. Adam messes it up. And so Roman says that God sent the second Adam, which is Jesus. And Jesus came and did not mess it up, but established the kingdom of God uh, on the devil's domain, as it were. And so we are participants of that. We are included in that, and we're blessed by it. And so last week I talked about. It. Don't want to repeat it. You can get the tape. I know we don't do tapes anymore. You can download it if that's you. Anyway. And so the uh, the whole thing is some of God's attributes I call communicable. There's that God says I am love, you be loving. I am holy, you be holy. I am pure, you be pure. I am kind, you be kind. And, uh, you know, uh, and I am faithful, and I want you to be faithful. And one of the attributes of God that we didn't talk about, because I saved it for today, is responsible. How many you know God wants you to keep your word? If you say you're going to do something, and he wants you to do it, and keeping your word, God does that. God's very responsible. And then there are some parts of God that are not supposed to be yours. They're for he, him and him alone. And one of them is uh, immutable. It means that the Lord does not change. The Bible says, I am the Lord and I change not. And did you ever know anybody that thought they were like God and wouldn't change for anything? See, how does it go? Men marry women and doesn't want them to change, and they always do. Women marry men wanting them to change, and they never do. So some folks think they're immutable and, they just, uh, and they're not going to change. And no kidding, they've been the same for the last 50 years and been against every change that ever happened. And, and omniscient is another one where God is all-knowing. Did you ever know anybody that tried to act like God in that? And they knew everything. Hadn't learned anything in ever because in, in, in they just knew it and they knew what ought to happen. And they act like God and they're so obnoxious. Oh, anyway, or, or the, uh, the vengeance vengeance is mine the Lord says and I will repay and some people think well the vengeance is mine and I'm going to retaliate people think they're sovereign and they're not and so but one thing that belongs to God that he is willing to share but he's got to give it to you and if you take it and that's authority and so I want to talk about that Ephesians chapter 6 verse 1 it's in your bulletin if you didn't get one they're on the back table but Ephesians 6 1 says children Obey your parents in the Lord, and all of us old guys say, "Yeah, Pastor, yeah, Pastor." Would you go read that to my kids, and would you tell them obey their parents? Because my kids are just hellions, and they won't do anything I say. Whoa! (laughs) I expected a few chuckles after that one. (laughs) Maybe getting closer to home. You wait to see how close to home I'm going to get in a second. Honor your father and mother. And all of us old people, yeah, it's about time somebody says to honor us after all we've done and blah, 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 blah. Honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with a promise. Why is this so important? Because your mom and dad have done so much and they, they gave you birth and raised you and all that. No, 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 no. That's not why you really need to honor them. The, the Bible says the, the commandment, it's the fifth commandment, that it may go well with you. Oh. And that you might live a long and enjoy your life here on earth. So this honoring your mother and dad has very little to do with them. It has everything to do with you that it may go well with you. Huh. See, parental authority is the first line of authority it's the first place in the home where children learn what authority is like and if it's wonderful godly and, and all that fair stuff and just and holy and all that it's just a wonderful place to learn to learn basic authority that authority is on your side it's there to protect you now when you look at your parents authority or maybe when your teenagers look at yours do they think it's protective or restrictive a season of your life you think my parents are so restrictive they won't even let me drive the car and I'm 14 years old already we've all heard that you're just too restrictive and then you live a while and you think oh thank God they didn't give me everything uh, and so it's so it's it's the problems with abusive or absentee or weird parents have you ever met any weird parents oh my word and you look at their children and say no wonder these kids are weird Look where they came from. I've never met anyone like that, especially not at Life Community Church. But anyway, and so what? What, what weird parenting goes on, and it skews reality, because that's not what real authority is supposed to be. It's uh, it's, and this is not about be a doormat for Jesus. I'm not. I don't believe that. I don't preach it. Uh, but there's a uh, uh, point number one. Let's get there. David recognized God's authority in a godless king. King David. Second king of Israel. Saul was the first king. Now, Saul was an absolute insecure, crazy, demonized, psychotic guy who happened to be David's father in law. (laughs) Does anybody have crazy in laws that you can kind of understand? My in laws are wonderful and I appreciate them so much. They're just wonderful, godly people. But this was this guy's father in law, David's father in law. It was his boss, it was his king. But David had this capacity that I want to learn. I would like for you to learn. That David had this capacity to look beyond the individual and see God's hand working. There was, at the end anyway, there was nothing godly about Saul. He was jealous of David. He thought David was after his throne. And in one sense, David was anointed to be king. Well, you've already got a king. Don't do that. Samuel, what are you doing to this? 16, 17-year-old kid anoints him to be the king, and Saul hears of it, and he always thinks that David's trying to usurp him, and David's not. He tries to kill David. David's on the run, and David had several opportunities to, to get Saul, and he didn't take him because David said, no, 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 I can't. See, God put him in place, and I can't, I can't remove him. If I do, I'm taking things out of God's hands and put them into my hands. And he said, I'm not going to do that when it comes to the Lord's anointed. Now, if you've been in church any amount of time, you've probably heard preachers hide behind touch not God's anointed. Who's ever heard that one before? That's what preachers always say when everybody gets mad at them for changing the aisles of the church and they just (laughs) mess up the whole thing and they say, touch not God's anointed. (laughs) If you like the idea of the aisles, it was mine. If you don't like it, it is Roy Sablasky's. Mama didn't raise no fool here. No, no, no. It really is Roy's, and actually Roy's labor that made it all happen and all that kind of stuff. But so, so David had many opportunities, and this one particular time. It's in 1 Samuel 26, uh, verse 9. Uh, Saul was chasing David all over the place. And so one night, David looks across the hills, and he sees Saul's camp. And Saul and everybody just sound asleep. And so David and his assistant, they said, let's go over there and see what's going on. So they go over there and the Bible says that God put him in a deep sleep and there Saul was sound asleep and his spear was stuck in the ground next to his head. His jug of water was next to that. And the assistant said, thank God, kill him now and you can be king. And David said, no, 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 no. See, God put this guy in place. And if I take him out, I'm going against what God did. I have no right to do that. That is not my place. And so his assistant said, I tell you, I don't mind. I'll do it. And David says, no, don't kill him because you won't be, you won't get out of this thing innocently. You won't get out of this thing guiltless because it's not my place. He says, God will take care of him. He'll die of old age. He'll die in battle or he'll die somehow. But I'm not going to step in and take care of him. See, David had the ability to look beyond Saul and see God, uh, to see beyond the circumstances. See, David says, I'm not gonna be a victim. I'm not gonna blame all the bad things that are happening in my life on that, that doggone Saul. He's just this and he's just that and he's just that. I tell you, you're victimizing yourself. You are making yourself a victim. And David said, I'm not going to. Pilate said to Jesus, don't you know I've got the power to take your life? And Jesus said, fat chance, I lay it down, buddy. You're not going to take it from me, and you would have nothing. He didn't say fat chance, but he could have. He says, you wouldn't, couldn't do anything if my Father in heaven didn't give you authority to do it. And so the truth of it is, don't be a victim. The kingdom of God brings an eternal paradigm, a way to look at it. And it's beyond the noise, beyond the politics, beyond our fears, beyond our prejudice, takes me to point number 2 Peter and Paul gave instruction concerning authority now these guys these guys are they're gave great instruction now Paul's the aged apostle writing to young Timothy he's a, he's the pastor of the church and so he's trying to help him set things up and get things in order and all that kind of stuff and so 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 1 says I urge uh, you first of all to pray for all people, pray for everybody. He said, just pray for everybody. It's, I mean, you know, that's a good thing to do. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. He says, pray for everybody. You don't just, just pray for, ask God to bless them. Intercede for them, kind of stand in the place for them and, and ask God to, to bless them, give thanks for them. So then he goes on to say, pray this way for kings and for all who are in authority. Well, he didn't mean like today, because we all know things today are much worse than they was in Bible times. We just have to deal with Democrats and Republicans. They had the joy of dealing with Nero, Caligula. Then those guys were such nice guys deep down, six feet down. They were Anyway, and so he says that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness. And another word for godliness is godlikeness. And dignity. Have you ever seen some of these people and they're just ranting and raving and the camera's in their face and you want to say, my word, you don't look very dignified today. Aren't you glad that all your worst moments weren't caught on camera? He says we can live quiet and peaceful lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and it pleases God, our Savior. Now, why are we supposed to? I want to talk about kings and all those in authority. Why are we supposed to pray for them? Because, boy, they really need it. No, 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 no. I think prayer does more for me than it does for them. When I pray for them, it makes me love them. See, I'm going to say, I, the truth is, I love Joe Biden. You do? Yes, I do. You know why? Because he's my president, and I pray for him. You can't pray for somebody and not like him. And keep a hatred going for you. That's why Paul says pray for these guys. I, I love Donald Trump. When he was my president. When Barack Obama was the president. George Bush Jr. and George Bush Sr. Bill Clinton. I love those guys. I used to pray for Barack's little girls that were brought into the public world. And Lord, help those little girls to to have some sense of normalcy and all that kind of stuff. And the more I pray for those in authority, the more I love them. Do you think that they even know the difference of who I am? No. Biden will never even know my name. But I'm telling you what, I am gonna get over any kind of animosity that I might have toward anybody because that's not what God has called me to be or to do God has called me to be way more loving and not full of venom. Settle down. I know you want to shout hallelujah and wave the hankies and all that. See, that's why Jesus said pray for your adversaries. Not that there are adversaries. Pray for your enemies. Why? So they don't get in your head. So they don't get in your head. I I mean, with, with the charter school and all that goes on with that, And Not adversaries, but people are frustrated with me all the time because I won't do what they want to do with this, that, and the other. And so they can get frustrated all the time. And so rather than get that in my head, I just pray for them and love them and appreciate their difference of opinion and education. And if they'd like to go elsewhere, sure, that'd be great. They'd like to come here, sure, that'd be great because I'm not going to let thousands of people get in my head. I'm going to love them and keep them at arm's length because there is nothing any worse than an unloving pastor, unloving husband, unloving father, or an unloving grandfather. My grandchildren like me a lot more when I'm full of love and generosity. How many of you know what I'm talking about? My wife loves me more when I'm full of love and kindness and all those things that love brings. I think a congregation Instead of having a grumpy old pastor to have an old guy that really just loves everybody. Well, do you agree? Oh, no. (laughs) Heaven's sakes, no. Well, are you going to vote for this, that? No. Every time it's time to vote, I always vote of who I think ought to be the best guy, gal, whatever. But as far as loving these people, I tell you, I pray for them often. And I remember I learned to do this, especially under Bill Clinton. Anybody remember Bill Clinton when he had his little go-around with Monica Lewinsky? I tell you what, and you're in a little church there in Gilbert, and it was going on, and everybody was talking about it. It was an uproar, and I finally said, we're not going to badmouth him at all. We're going to pray for him, not pray at him. Oh, God, get him and curse him. No, 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 God bless him, like Paul told Timothy. And I'm telling you, things were a whole lot worse then than they are now, dealing with crazy people then, Well, maybe two now, but it's not as crazy. See, and we forget that the kingdom of God was born in hell when Jesus died and went to hell for three days. He didn't go there on a little Sunday school picnic. He went there to take the keys of authority away from the devil, and when he rose up, everything changed because he became the king of this world, and it's up to us to enact his rule and his reign, first of all in my life and in the lives of anybody I can influence. Victims blame everything on the evil. Oh, the evil, then that, and the evil and the evil, and the evil. Knock it off. First Peter chapter two, verse thirteen. He says, For the Lord's sake, respect human authority, whether the king as head of state or officials he's appointed. For you are free, look what he says, and yet you're God's slaves. A little paradox going on there. You're free, yes you are free, yet you're kind of God's slaves. If you want to be under the umbrella, you got to do what the king says to do. He says, don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Show proper respect to everyone. Love your fellow brothers, uh, fellow believers, fear God, and under and honor the king. See, these principles, guys, are for you. Honor your father and mother, why, that it may go well with you. God says, I'm, I'm worried about you. Your mom and dad, well, yeah, honor them. That's nice for them. But I'm really worried about you. These principles aren't for authorities. They're not for our governor, city council, people, in, your, your boss, people in charge. They're not for them. It's so things will go well for you. And I hope I'm not terribly selfish but i am very concerned that things go well for me and what i do that god can bless the work of my hands romans 13 another one of our favorite verses 13:1 says everyone must be submitted to the governing authorities for all authority comes from god and those in positions of authority have been placed there by god sometimes we don't believe that but it's true So everyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. For the authorities are God's servants sent to do good. See, and what David had the capacity to do is look beyond the authority, Saul, crazy Saul, maniacal Saul. He had the capacity to look beyond that guy to see a God who was greater than human authority. See, David says, I don't know how this thing's going to end. This guy's trying to kill me. I'm I'm on the run for years. I don't know how it's going to end, but I do know that there's a God who is greater than him. And I know that human authority is limited. It has its time. It has its space. But God's authority is not. And David had this unique and wonderful capacity to look beyond what was happening and see God at work. And that's what I want to have in my own life. That's what I want you to have. Because we all face different kinds of things. And I would like for all of us to be able to look past that guy, that gal, whatever, and look beyond and see God who is greater than human authority is. And watch him work on your behalf. See, I think God wants you to experience his power in overriding human authority. Did you hear that? I think God wants each of us to experience God overriding human authority. They make laws, they make rules, they this, that, and the other, and it can be frustrating, can be binding as it were, and to watch God overrule that. See, I think God works while I rest. Perfect submission, all is that, Rest, I in my Savior am happy and blessed. God will work for those who wait. They that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. God, you deal with them. God, from my part, bless them. Bless their children, bless their kids, their sons, their daughters, their business, whatever it is, Lord, bless them. And then watch God deal with them, and I don't have to. It gives me the quietness and rest that Paul is talking about. Wow, pastor, that was a great point. Good, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I can see the the feedback coming in right online right now. Number three. The centurion's understanding amazed Jesus. How I many you know if your understanding of something that can amaze Jesus, you've got some good understanding? How I many of you know the Lord has never said, wow, that amazes me, Delmer." He's never said that, not once. But he did about the centurion. Now, the centurion was a Roman centurion. They were occupied by Rome. They were the unwelcome guests that just would not leave, as it were. And so the centurion, uh, his servant gets sick. And he hears that Jesus is healing people and this guy can do these kind of things. And so... Uh, he uh, says to Jesus, could you heal my servant? And Jesus says, sure, would you like me to come by? For a Jew to be in a Roman's home just didn't happen. So Jesus said, would you like me to come by? And the centurion replied, Lord, I'm in Matthew chapter eight, verse eight. Lord, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. He says, because I understand a little thing here, Jesus. He said, for I myself, and I'm a man under authority. Another translation the translations have authority coming out of me with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. I say, this one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And, 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 and when Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. See, the centurion had the same kind of knack that David did. The centurion looked past Jesus, and he says, Jesus, there is something emanating from you that is more than just you. He said, I'm a Roman centurion. I got a lot of power, but my power is in this badge I carry, this sword that I have this badge that I carry, and I say to my servants, come, and they come, go, and they go, do this, and they do it. He says, Jesus, if you'll just say the words, I recognize there's something in you that can make things happen, and you don't have to be there. He was not impressed with Jesus. Wow, that's a good turn of phrase. Jesus' electric personality, Jesus' magnetic character, and, and, and per- no, no, none of that. He said, I understand there's something in you, because the same thing with me. People, the only authority I have is this Roman badge. And people will do what I say because I carry the badge. Like when a policeman pulls you over. They have a badge and they have the authority backed by the state. And so the Roman says, "God, Jesus, you've got the same kind of authority that you can just speak the word and it'll happen. It was not the person. It was the God behind them. that's why david said uh, that's why paul says as unto the lord surrender as unto the lord submit as unto the lord matthew 25 says in the end jesus is going to bring people together and separated the sheep from the goats and he says i was i was uh, sick and you and you visited me i was in the I was, I was sick and you helped me i was in jail and you visited me i was i was hungry and you fed me i was naked and you clothed me And all the sheep are going to say, when did we ever see you sick? Can God get sick? Another subject, another sermon. When were you in jail? When did you ever need help? And what does Jesus say? When you've done it to the least of these, my brothers, you've done it unto me. When you've done it to the least, oh, Jesus, I want to help you. Find someone who needs help and help them. Under the least of these, my brothers, you've done it unto me. See, Jesus doesn't need an extra ten dollars. Jesus doesn't need a ride to the doctor's. Jesus doesn't need a little extra grace for those that are socially awkward. Anybody? No, raise your hand. It may be you. You know, it's that guy at work that always says the wrong stuff or that lady that's just so inappropriate. And, and I mean, you know, and they're just awkward. They don't even know. How they were raised. Look at their parents. Their parents are probably weirder than they are. And so, and so the truth is, it's, Jesus says, when you've done it unto these. So when I surrender and, and pray for the leaders, they don't know me. I'm not doing it unto the Lord. When I've done it to them, that's how I honor God. Don't ever forget. When you ask for God, he always sends somebody else. When you ask God for God, he always sends somebody else. Oh, God, give me some money, and he gets you a job. Nice. Oh. oh, God, give me a different kind of money. <laughs> no, no, no. He's not going to drop money out of heaven in your lap so you never have to work. He's got a plan for you, right. and work is part of it. And uh, the truth it is, it's, uh, it's delegated, God's delegated authority. It takes me to point number four. And that's my last point of the day for those of you that are uh, waiting to get out of here. <laughs> Jesus himself laments over Israel's resistance. Matthew 23, verse 34, Jesus says, I sent you prophets, wise men, teachers, but you killed some of them And flogged others with whips in your synagogues, chasing them from city to city. He said, I I sent you wise men, I sent you teachers, I sent you scribes. And what you did, you killed them. And yet you you decorate their tombs. And that's like, if we would have been alive in those days, we wouldn't have done that. He said, yes, you would have. Because you do that today. You want to think you're so righteous, he says to these people, not us naturally. He says, but you killed everybody I sent to you. Because the, you didn't like their style, you didn't like their mannerisms, you didn't like their politics, you didn't like the way they cut their hair, dress was too long, too short, too whatever, and you killed and stoned them. And so the question I always ask is, how do I treat people that God sends me? How do I treat problems that God sends me? I embrace them or curse them? I've lived long enough to know that God never sends the finished product. Come on. That's why we're all together. Because you're just the perfect people I've ever met. <laughs> never a flaw, never a criticism, never anything wrong with any of you. Aren't you glad I believe that? See, I've learned to embrace. Got a little weird, ah, oh, it's okay, we can work that out. Got some weird things. Oh, it's okay, we can work that out. God's able. God is able. God is able. It's never get your act together, then come back. No, 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 no. I'll embrace you, when you, when you, when you. No, 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 no. Because I've learned to embrace people that are a bit different than me. Different politically. Different doctrinally. Different denominationally. Different in more ways than I'm going to say today because I'll barely get out of life with this one. (laughs) That's why Jesus says, now remember, when you're praying and you're asking your heavenly father for some bread, and what he sends you looks a lot like a rock. Or if you're asking for fish, and what he sends you looks a lot like a snake. Who's ever prayed for this and got that? Who's ever prayed for bread and you got a rock? Who's ever prayed for fish? No, i never prayed for fish. I just went down to the store. No, I'm not talking. And, and the answer from God is not exactly what you were looking for. So what do you do with that? You can't trust God. Look at that. It's just an old rock. Oh, I tell you, I'm telling you how to handle it. Oh, Lord, thank you for this, this bread. And I'm going to believe it's bread and I'm going to treat it like it's bread. Looks like a rock to me, but I've been wrong before. (laughs) Lord, I'm going to trust you that this snake is going to eat like a fish. Turn into what I've learned to embrace the things that the Lord sends me. And I'm not bragging, but you ought to be glad I've learned to do that. God's answers rarely come finished. Verse 37, boy, you got to get the, this is days before he's crucified. He's in Jerusalem for the last time. And I can hear him, the heartbeat of this thing. Verse 37, he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you, you who killed the prophets and stoned those who were sent to you, how often I long to gather you. Gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. It's really cute. I'm talking. We had little chicks born at our house. We have lots of chickens. And so we had little chicks. And so Terry keeps them in this little room, has a heat lamp on them. And so there's eight little, just little bitty chickens running around. And the mother's right there clucking away. And so, we, and so these chicks just get under that mom. And that's what Jesus, oh, I re, that's what I really wanted to do for you. I wanted to gather you together and protect you, be security for you give you an identity of you belong to this group, you belong to the family, and all those things that the, that the mama chick does, that the hen does for these chicks. And Jesus says, but you were unwilling. And you say, unwilling? Are you kidding me? What I need in my life is some security. And you think you're going to get security by getting all you can and canning all you get and then sitting on the can. You think you're going to get your identity and who you are and how big of a business you ran and how much you have and how famous you can be and the VIP status that you have. You think that's going to give you some identity. You think it's community because you want to surround yourself with your little minions and nobody ever disagrees with you. God says, I've got greater things in store for you. But see, we want what God wants to give us on my terms, in my way. And I want the kingdom of God like I want it because I still want to be king. Next week, I'm going to talk to you about the constitution and bylaws. There are constitution and bylaws. Yeah, there are the kingdom of God. They're founded in Matthew 5 because the, the the bylaws in God's kingdom is way different than the ones in the kingdoms of this world. In good old American culture that we were raised with, they are completely different. Uh, is different as night and day. That's next week. We'll get there. He said, how often I want to gather you as a hen gathereth her chicks, but you were not willing. Then look what he says. Look, your house is being left to you desolate. For I tell you that you will not see me again until you learn to save. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus says, you're not gonna see me And that's the end of verse chapter 23, verse chapter 24, says that Jesus got up, went out of the temple, guys, and he never went back. Jesus himself said, you're not going to see me until you embrace who I send you. You're not going to see me and curse and stone and run off who I sent you. When your children aren't exactly what you wish they were and you curse and stone around, he says, no, 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 You're not going to see me until you learn to say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Until you embrace that fish that looks like a snake, that loaf of bread that looks like a rock. I really want to see the Lord active in my life and in your life. Oh, no, no, you still go to heaven. You're still a Christian. Oh, you so still get that, the golden harp and all that stuff that you think you're going to get. Sure. <laughs> Jesus not saying you're going to hell. No, 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 he's not saying that at all. You're still loved by God, but you live your life missing what could have been. See, regrets are not what you did. It's what you didn't do. Come on. It's when you can recognize God in the bank who says no to your loan. In my younger days, I found this fancy car that I wanted to buy. Wasn't making any money, but I just knew God would give me that car. So I go to the bank, tried to borrow money, and they said no. God, where are you when I need you? And about two years later, I said, oh, thank you, Lord, for blocking that loan. God, used that bank to say no to me. Your children can feel that your laws, your company may feel your policy is so restrictive. What's the matter with you people? Let me tell you a story of when I was young, long time ago, just like some of you. When I was young, I was filled with a lot of zeal. I loved Jesus, part of an Assembly of God denomination, which I loved. And I uh, was just, we were the only ones that, I mean, not the assemblies, but our church, we were the right ones and everybody else was wrong. And I felt like the denomination needed to be burned and us take over because we were, after all, I was 25 and knew how things ought to be. And so I was full of zeal and at, uh, I don't say rebellion because that would just be too harsh. But anyway, I was the assistant director for the state youth department and we used to put on camps every year. And so I was 25, 27 years old and I was just learning this stuff. I was just learning this stuff. And anybody ever heard of Dave Reaver? Dave Reaver, anybody ever heard of him? He's been around forever. It's probably, this is a 45 year old story. And they said, I had a Nazarene pastor visit our church in East Mesa. And he says, man, did you get a hold of a book? I said, a book? I've been living this for the last 40 years. And so Reaver, excuse me, Dave Reaver, let me just call him Reaver. That's what we called him. Anyway, he was a Vietnam, in Vietnam War. He had a phosphorus grenade <clears throat> that he was getting ready to throw. And as he gets to about this far in throwing it, a Viet Cong shot it out of his hand Blew up and just absolutely melted the right side of his body off, much like Raiders of the Lost Ark. Just when that the guy's face melted and this side of the face it was burning with phosphorus. He was in water when it happened. He goes under and you know phosphorus will burn underwater. And they finally pulled him up and they thought he was dead. They put him on a stretcher. The phosphorus is still burning, burns a hole in the stretcher and Reaver falls out. And when he did, he groaned and moaned. They said, Hey, this guy's alive. So they get him to the hospital, and after years of reconstructive surgery, they did the best they can, but he was relatively disfigured on the right side. Well, all of his face was. And so he would preach these youth camps, and he was really good because he would would take his ear, which came off. He took this ear, and he says, I can play by ear, and then play the piano with his ear, and then stick it back on again. And he was strange enough looking to know you're not going to hide that. And so he just... And he would, uh, selfie-facing and making jokes, all this kind of stuff. Had all the kids laughing. Then he'd talk to them about the real values in life, and everybody got saved and all that kind of stuff. So he was really, really good. And so at the end of the camp every week, uh, we would have this banquet. And it didn't dawn on me that the big brass from our denomination was going to be there, and they hadn't been there all week. And sure enough, we called him, back in the day, we called him Brother Cummings. He's kind to be with the Lord, so Earl, wherever you're at. Anyway, uh <laughs> So And so it didn't dawn on me, so what, at this banquet, we were going to do a roast back when roasts were happening and they weren't so dirty, you couldn't do them. But we were going to do a roast of Dave Reaver, and uh, and one of the jokes was it looks like he's already been roasted. (laughs) And we, honestly, we're not totally dumb. We didn't say anything that he hadn't already said that week. Only Brother Cummings didn't know that. So we have this dinner, and Brother Cummings is sitting right over there. And as this thing got started, one of the guys started in, and I saw Cummings, and he was mad. Woo, he was mad, and I thought, oh, man, we didn't figure this right. And so the farther it got, the madder this guy got. And actually, Dave Reaver's eye it couldn't, conduct, it couldn't control the tear duct, so he just teared all the time. And so he starts tearing up, and Cummings saw that and was just furious. So after the meeting, they didn't get, wait till the room. They got us in the street, and they just gave us a what for, and i tell you what, what for, and, and on and on and on. And I was in the middle of learning all of this stuff that I'm talking to you about. I was just deciding maybe we shouldn't burn the denomination, that maybe there should be some respect for authority, those who had gone before us. And so anyway, and I'm, I'm, I'm listening to all this, and my, my buddy who was the president, man, uh, Cummings came, and he fired right back, and then his wife fired right back, and then she fired more than she should have. and she Anyway, and he just went on and on. And so they turned to me. And they were waiting on by. And one of my buddies was hoping, come on, don't forget him. And I said, you know, Brother Cummings, I'm really sorry I offended you. We only told jokes that he told. But I understand you didn't know that. And the fact that you're so offended really hurts me. And it really was. I said, I'm so sorry that I've deeply offended you. And I don't know what to do about that. Please accept my apologies. I say, he looked at me like I was crazy. And I said, sorry, I don't. we can't undo it. Won't happen again. Okay, so that was the end of that. Go back to Nogales, pastor my little church for another five, seven years, whatever it was. And I felt like God was talking to me about moving to Chandler Tempe. And Reverend Cummings, Brother Cummings was the district superintendent. And so I called him and I said, are there any churches available in the Chandler Tempe area? And he says, not really, but I can maybe work on something. Why? And I said, I really believe that God is calling me to the area. And he says, let me work on it. Keep your mouth shut, stay where you're at, and let me work on it. And I knew his retirement was coming. And I really thought, I'm going to get slid under the pile of papers. He retires, he goes off. Everybody forgets you had this conversation and are left at ground zero. But I didn't say any more. And as he got closer to retirement, the very last thing, I cry, I think about this 45 years ago. Very last thing he did, he went to that church had a business meeting with him. And he says, we're going to make some changes. The church didn't want to make the changes. He had the power to do that. He says we're going to make changes. There's a young man from Nogales that I'm going to install as pastor here. And the very last thing he did was he put me as a pastor of that church, became Word of Life. And the next day he retires and is gone. But I learned something about authority during that time. And over the course of years, when it was time for me to come to Gilbert, I was Assembly of God pastor, and I was coming into the Foursquare denomination. I didn't know anybody. I didn't have any clout. I didn't have any long history with anybody. I called Foursquare, said, Hi, I'm Delmer Gisi. I pastor an Assembly of God church in Chandler. I would like to come to Gilbert. I found a Methodist church that is for sale. And, uh, and I understand that Foursquare does these things. And so they said, well, let me check with the Assemblies of God. They checked with each other and checked me out and all that kind of stuff. But the truth of it is, I was a freshly two-year divorced guy that you don't necessarily want to bring into your organization because it had been very nasty, very public, and I don't think I would have touched it with a 10-foot pole, but John Watson did. Amen. And I met him in the church parking lot and his wife, and I talked to them. And he says, I think we can make something happen. Four square, front-loaded $50,000 for us to buy that property. Made our payments for the next three years to give us a good start. And we were off and running. A few years later, when it was time to buy the Gilbert Commerce Center, 9-11 had just hit, and the thing was going cheap, and I mean cheap, at $9 million. I called the authorities in California. And they said, I got a deal on a properties, 100,000 square feet, a lot of offices, a lot of tenants, a lot of income. Would you be interested? And they said, how much? And I said, $9 million." expecting to hear a click. <laughs> and they said, send us the paperwork. So I sent them the paperwork, and we went over there and talked to them. And after several months of that stuff, they write a check for $9 million. Because I think they saw something in me that wasn't going to burn anybody. I wasn't going to take advantage of anything. Years later, I want to do a charter school. Standing before the charter school board, and they're asking me questions about things I have no idea about. My good friend Ron Bodie was there. He was answering all the questions that they needed answers to. And the charter said, Reverend, we want you to know there is a separation of church and state. I said, I understand that. They granted me a charter and opened the door for incredible possibilities. When we first got started leading, edge, we didn't know how to do what we were doing. We, we hired teachers that can educate, but structure. So we were offering chapel and had Bible on our web page. And the state got a hold of me. And instead of kiboshing me, they said, "Reverend, you can't do it that way. If you want to offer chapel, the church has to. The school can't offer it because we're a, you're a, you're, you can't do that." And so here's the law, here's the statute, here's how you can do that, and they helped me get it in right order, but they could have kiboshed me. And I think God gives me favor with authorities because I can love them even though I could vehemently disagree with a lot of policies they have. And the God's truth is, I want that for you. Musicians, come back. I'm going to wrap it up. Jesus comes into Jerusalem. It's not in your bulletin, but the references in Luke 19. And he weeps over the city. And he said, if you only would have known the possibilities it could have been. But he says the truth is the day is going to come when they're going to they're going to build a wall against you. They're going to tear down your temple. They're going to bury you. They're going to burn you and you and your children within you because you did not recognize the day of visitation. You did not recognize the day of visitation. See, I think those 45 years ago, God was dealing so tenderly and so so directly with my attitude toward anybody who had gone on before me, any of those old fogies that didn't understand how things ought to be, those old geezers that were just out of sync and never knew the culture, and on and on and on the stories would go, that if I hadn't learned to soften my heart toward them and people that were over me, my bosses, my supervisors, that if I hadn't changed my attitude, toward basic authority that that part of my life would not be under that umbrella today. Does it mean you agree with everything anybody does? Of course not. It's the day of visitation. Sure enough, it happened. Seventy years later. Rome came in, put put up a wall, buried those people tore down the temple it came just like Jesus said it would and so if you can allow God to be God for you watch God work above worldly humanistic godless prejudiced, foolish systems of thought in order to be faithful to you see that's what I think he's done for me When I see things in the government, in the world, in the church world that I don't think, I don't know. I can look beyond that and see a God that's almighty, that's got a plan. That he said he's going to build his church and all the gates of hell are not going to stand against that. And that has become a rock in my life. So in COVID and crazy things come down the pike. I am not going to be moved by that because I'm not looking at that. I'm looking past it. Because God is my King. Jesus is my Lord. And He is my protector. He is my rock. He is my security. He is my identity. He is all in all to me. I'm a, a proud American. Love this land my allegiance goes to the king of all kings. And you keep that in order, and then sure, loyal to whoever, however. And I think being a candidate for that is praying what Jesus told us to pray. Lord, your kingdom come. Here. Here. Your will be done here. Here, like it is in heaven. Guys, are getting ready to sing in a second what the enemy meant for evil. God is meant for good. Because God is greater. He is the ultimate authority. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these dear people. Lord, who have patiently listened to me today. Lord, of who you are. Of how powerful you are, oh Lord. Lord, let us look beyond the noise of the immediate, beyond the rattling and the the clamor of the present, with an eternal perspective. I pray that in Jesus' strong name, amen.